Is Canada's food supply at a tipping point? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Agriculture and food production are essential services in our COVID-19 world, but this is a key time for the industries to ensure we have enough on the table. We now see limits on how much you can purchase at the grocery store if you can find what you need. On this episode of the Unpublished Cafe, we take a look at the hurdles facing those wanting to get crops into the ground. And food can be a big hurdle for those living paycheck to paycheck who may rely on the services of a food bank and one healthy source of food, farmers markets, which have seen an explosion in numbers, are looking at new ways to do business. Now, farmers, for their most part, keep an eye on the sky as the weather pretty well dictates what and when. And now there's a pandemic wildcard in the deck. Keith Curry's the vice president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, and he joins us now. And Keith, first off, farming needs to be a federal government priority. At least that's what the CFA is saying. You're not seeing it that way? Well, good morning, Ed. Um, no, it's it's been a bit of a struggle getting uh, the, the federal government to recognize the importance of the sector. And certainly, you know, we're all uh, rooting the government on to do whatever they need to do for the health sector to make sure that the, the funding and the equipment and, and that people are able to get to work uh, for our health sector, that, that certainly is a priority for everyone. And we're, we're happy that they're making sure that everybody is, uh, uh, you know, who's at home and can't go to work is being looked after from an EI or serve or even some of the business spending they're, they're spending. But, you know, next to healthcare, food is a priority. And, you know, we, uh, those of us across rural Canada who who are farming every day and, and, and those through the processing and retail sector of the agri-food industry, um, we're telling the government that, you know, we are still producing food. We're still getting some of that processing done. But really, to come out of COVID-19, uh, it's going to require that this industry as a whole is kept as close to normal as possible so that we can continue to provide that food beyond beyond this pandemic and, and really be the base of the economic uh, recovery. Are you hearing from uh, some of your CFA members that they just might leave the uh, farming business altogether? Well, there's a lot of business decisions being made right now by farmers right across the country, and it may be something to the effect of I'm cutting back my production or I'm switching to a different type of production, especially if they're in the horticulture sector and, and the labor's maybe not available right now to get that planting done. So they may switch to a, a less labor-intensive uh, type of cropping, perhaps maybe corn or soybeans, wheat, something along that line. Um, but we certainly have the livestock sector now with a, with a number of our processing plants shutting down temporarily. Uh, putting quite a backlog uh, of, of animals on the farm and certainly becomes an animal welfare situation. So they're, they're, they're trying to look at their business situation and what are they going to do with their herds and their flocks going forward. And, and that cutback that happens now will have a, a long-term ramifications going forward because you can't just turn, flip a switch and build those herds and flocks back up overnight. So that's why we're trying to incentivize the government to get on this now and, and make sure that we maintain that, that food system so that Canadians continue to enjoy that, that bountiful supply that, that we know. And, and how would you like the government to make farming and agriculture more of a priority? What, what's the CFA looking for specifically? <laughs> 
Well, for some some parts of the sector, there is immediate loss, loss of sales, markets have dropped, uh, or just can't sell anything at all, uh, especially those in the in the beef and the pork sector. And now we're in eastern Canada, the, the poultry sector is being affected. And most of that's because of the the uh, slowing down or, or stopping of the processing side. So there's going to be some immediate injection of cash that's needed just for those people to keep their heads above water. Uh, otherwise, they're going to go they're going to go broke. They're they're not going to farm. Uh, some of it's a labor issue. We were very thankful that the government gave us access to uh, temporary foreign workers. Uh, that's a program that's been uh, happening in Canada for more than 50 years. And and even with a full complement of foreign labor, we're still some 15, 16,000 uh, positions on farms across this country that aren't aren't filled every year. So we're st- there's still a shortage of labor. So that's resulting in, in the decisions of cutting back in production or switch, switching production. So we need we need programming and tools both for now and, and for the long term uh, to see us through this and, and help Canadians be in a better position from a food buying perspective as we get on the other side of it. And and what we need them to do is to come to the table with us and have those conversations. And we've been working with our commodity organizations, our national commodity organizations to put together, you know, what the hurt looks like right now, but um, like most Canadians, this this is going to go on on longer. So so we need them to to understand uh, that we do need some investment. Keith Curry joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, He's Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, as we discuss Canada's food supply in the COVID nineteen world, and we talked about labor uh, access to labor, and and you know you do have a lot of people out of work in Canada right now. Can can farmers tap into that? Well, we certainly can, and I know uh, uh, here in Ontario, for example, we're we're working closely with the provincial government on ways that we can uh, match what's what's uh, what's available from a labor pool standpoint. I mean, you look at the airline industry, the restaurant industry, the tourism industry, where people just are not working. The trouble is, there's a couple a couple of, of aspects to it that are that are problematic. One is uh, people assume uh, on farm labor is unskilled, and and it's anything but these days. Mm. It does take some some real skill and so we've been working closely also with you know folks uh, like community colleges for example or maybe some quick updating if, if you if you're a mechanic inclined or, or mechanically inclined or or you're into into different types of technology maybe we can make that work but the other struggle we're having right now and then a lot of our employee uh, our farmers are finding out is that people are wanting to sit home and enjoy the two thousand dollars a month they're getting and not come, not go to work and um, you know, so that becomes a problem. And we also need predictability of the labor force. And what I mean by that is, we want someone here for the season. So if I'm growing, you know, growing a cropper, especially if it's in the horticulture sector, uh, when when things ease up and people are allowed to go back to their regular job, that's going to leave a gap. If they leave, say, in August or September, that might leave a gap not getting a crop harvested. So we need some assurances that that predictability of labor will be there for the whole growing season. And that's that's part of the struggle. What about market predictability? Well, that's, uh, you know, certainly markets we we are, as farmers are price takers we're not price setters so we, we don't get to, we don't get to to charge whatever we want for products unless we sell directly to the consumer which some farm market farmers have been doing uh, direct marketing um, but the, the markets are what they are and and we're no different than the rest of the world um, the, the fortunate thing for us is we will not run out of food because we are a, a food exporting country 
having said that, that food, uh, that food industry is a massive economic driver. And just in Ontario alone, and most people won't realize it, but there's about 840,000 people working in the agri-food system in Ontario. And it's pushing the heck out of $50 billion annually in, in GDP. So we are the number one economic driver in Ontario. And that's going to be huge uh, potential economic bounce back if we continue, as I mentioned earlier, to, to prop up that industry so it's it's alive and well and, and hits the ground running post COVID nineteen. So um, we won't run out of food, uh, but we also feel that we have a moral obligation to help the rest of the world who maybe can't feed themselves too. So you know that that's a tremendous opportunity for us to be be there for for other countries as as well because many countries are, have shut their borders down. The flow of goods and services, as you know, has 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 come to a screeching halt for the most part. So imports aren't going to be there. Uh, right away, and most countries are in the same position we are. Can't get labor, uh, making business decisions on their farming and agricultural operations. So, so it's the big picture that we're trying to look at here to make sure that we can get that kind of assurance from our federal government that that they're going to help us get through this. Now, if we're if we're talking about having enough food for everybody, why are we seeing empty shelves in grocery stores? So. In, in Canada, and, and certainly Ontario is a prime example of it, uh, you know, probably 40% of meals were not eaten in, the, in their home. Uh, people go to restaurants. And, and so what, what's been happening, and uh, certainly milk dumping was a big story a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, the, 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 there will not be a shortage in the grocery stores. It's just there's been a change in uh, instead of going to restaurants, uh, and when you go to a restaurant, they buy in bulk, they buy in different packaging, they, they buy in different sizes of packages. So, so you might, you know, the chicken wings that you get in a, in a, in a you know, a Kelsey's or Montana's or, or a place like that, would be different than what you might purchase in a grocery store. So that mm. the size of the bird is different. The packaging is different. Um, you know, they buy they buy milk, butter, cheeses, for example, in 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 bulk quantities, which you don't in the grocery store. So it's that processing part of it and packaging that plants just can't change overnight to to adjust to that packaging. It, it, it's different equipment. It's very expensive. Uh, so there's an adjustment there. And, and that's why you're seeing, uh, again, it's a backup in processing. And and uh, it's the same thing with the same thing with with poultry. It's the same thing with with our other animals. There's just different packaging involved and that's required for restaurant industry as opposed to the retail sector. And, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation. So processors are maybe a little hesitant to do a full-scale changeover to accommodate the, the, the shopping and the retail sector for fear that, you know, in two, three months from now, that, that huge investment will go for naught as we go back to some sense of normality. Now, you know, let's face it, this, this is the time of year where farmers are, are, are going nonstop because this is, when, this is when the crop's going in. And uh, time is obviously of the essence for your CFA members to, to get an answer from the federal government on whether they're going to help support the industry, or I guess a lot of them might decide on just getting out altogether. Well, a lot of people are making that decision that they, they are looking at their, or, 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 you know, perhaps trying to lease their property out for the year or taking a break for the year from farming and, and hope that they can find work somewhere else. Um, it, it is a struggle for a lot of people. Um, you know, the reality is hitting us in the face right now. And, you know, I, I have to give Ministry Bebo a lot of credit. Uh, she's been very engaging with us. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure that her voice is being heard around the cabinet table, maybe the way it should be. Um, if you look at last fall's election, um, I mean, rural Canada sent a real message to the government that we're not happy because we're being ignored and it's starting to be amplified now. So we really and truly would like them to come to the table, not because we want to be made whole necessarily. We're all going to feel some pain. 
but we see both the opportunity for economic recovery, starting with the agri-food industry, and also making sure that it's strong coming out of this because people are still going to have to eat. It is the one thing that, that people are still going to be doing post-COVID-19. We may not be going to shows and theaters and, and restaurants or, or traveling, uh, but we're going to be going to the grocery store still. So there's, there's some tremendous opportunities uh, for the government for future uh, for the future at the invest now and that's that's the message we're trying to send now investing uh the cfa'd like to see possibly an emergency fund for farmers how much do you think it should be well uh one of our we, we have some uh agricultural program business risk management programming and one of our asks is for uh, a percentage of our annual net sales from 2018 to be deposited into the uh, type of account that we have uh, so farmers can have access to uh, money right away to pay those bills. Um, there has been some announcements. Uh, you, you, you probably heard $5 billion to Farm Credit Canada, yeah. which is great. And, and what, that, what that's doing is it's allowing for loan extensions. But the problem is probably 75% of our farmers in Canada don't use Farm Credit. So as much as the $5 billion sounds like a big number, um, I, I'm not sure what the uptake is because like I say, only a quarter of our producers roughly use that that lending institute. So going deeper in debt is something that we're all going to do, but we've had a really tough year in 2019 with with the China experience uh, shutting down some products with two two rail blockages uh, that really has hampered hampered agriculture. Um, so, so folks are stretched to the max on the financial end coming into COVID-19 and now going deeper into debt isn't something that I'm sure that they want to want to make happen. So we've been, as I said, we've been talking with our national commodity organizations and, you know, we're looking at those numbers right now. We submitted uh, uh, some some numbers to the government on uh, yesterday. Uh, so we're hoping to have conversations on what's, what the type of compensation would look like going forward. Uh, we're seeing it happen, you know, with every sector out there and, and really no one else has to justify their numbers. Uh, the student announcement on Friday and Thursday, I mean, it's, it's understandable students that can't work. Culture and Heritage got uh, $500 million, uh last week. Uh, they didn't have to justify any hurt. They just know that their income is, is uh, elastic. It, it, it comes and goes and you never know when you're going to get paid in that industry. But, hey, they're, they're getting looked after, and that's great. Um, you know, when people are getting paid to stay home, I, I just we struggle with why there's such a hesitance for the government to jump in and really invest in this farm-to-fork sector. And it, it's, it's something that we're continuing to work on, though. Keith, I want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate the time, Ed. Keith Curry is the Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. Food is essential to all of us, whether we're infected or not. This pandemic has created a lot of stress and fear for some on the margins of society, pinching pennies to feed their families. Food banks are a stopgap against hunger, but in the COVID-19 world, they're facing challenges right now. Kirsten Beardsley is the Chief Network Services Officer for Food Banks Canada, and she joins us. And, and Kirsten, how many Canadians are dealing with food insecurity right now? Well, the data we have is from prior to the pandemic, and we know the number is high and probably something that most Canadians don't know. So it's one in eight uh, Canadian households face food insecurity during normal times. What that looks like for food banks is that um, each month in Canada, there are over one million visits to food banks. Um, so during the pandemic, as you mentioned in the introduction, people who are already um, relying on food banks to make ends meet are even more um, stretched. 
say, you know, mm. when the, when we were all going to the grocery stores to find our two weeks of supplies, when you're not able to put together the means to even, pay, you know, support your family um, with a one week supply of food, that's that's hard. Um, and so we've seen um, a lot of increases in food bank use across the country. Um, and, and it's troubling because it's not a good situation in regular times. And now we're dealing with pretty unknown. You mentioned demand is up. I wonder, are donations up or donations down because of obviously lack of access? So food donations are down um, significantly. And, 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 you know, again, we're a big, broad country and there's diversity everywhere. But um, by and large, donations are down significantly, uh, 50, 60. Some some markets, it's down 80 percent. Food banks rely, of course, on food drives. And we're not gathering as we used to do to to bring those food drives together. They rely on grocery retailers, um, the donation bins that we all uh, put our food in at the grocery stores. Those, you know, we're not grocery shopping in the same way. So those have gone down significantly. And then we also work with directly with the grocery stores, with um, with food manufacturers to access donations. And just because of how the supply chain is right now, those donations have gone down as well. So it, what we're really encouraged by is that communities are still coming together to support their food banks. Um, so financial donations in some areas are um, are keeping the food banks afloat because, as you can imagine, food banks that rely on food donations are now having to go and purchase that food. That's a, an expense that they didn't expect. And then on the other hand, the need for food bank services is going up in many regions. And so you've got this on both sides of your business, you've got uh, growing expenses. So we're really encouraged to see Canadians recognizing that and coming together to support their food banks. Kirsten Beardsley is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. She's the Chief Network Services Officer for Food Banks Canada. As we discuss how food banks across this country are dealing with the increase in demand on their services. And, you know, you brought up a very interesting point uh, a little while ago. We were talking about when we were at the grocery store and loading up with our, our two weeks of supplies, right? Well, if you're on the on the edges uh, and, and, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have the money to stack up for two weeks of supplies, do you? No, you don't. And what we heard um, in food banks is that, you know, clients were coming to the food bank and the the depth of sort of fear and anxiety. I mean, I think when we look back, it feels like a bit of a lifetime ago, but those weeks leading up to the pandemic, and we were all sort of uncertain of what was to come. But if you add to that food insecurity, a lack of income, not, you know, not knowing how you're going to feed your kids, some families have kids who go to school and there are meal programs at the school and, and with the school shutting down, now they've got to make sure they've got food in the house to feed the, those kids. So there was a huge upsweep in anxiety. And I think food banks really um, really responded effectively. Off, you know, A lot of food banks upped the amount of food they were giving out, making sure they were putting together two-week hampers so that they could bring that anxiety down and the clients knew that they would have the two weeks at home if needed. But I, yeah, they, I can't imagine, you know, if you're someone who's already um, living paycheck to paycheck or really unable to make those paychecks stretch, what the, the stress would have been or is ongoing. And even with food insecurity, we you, you talk about, you know, you know, if a grocery store is your neighborhood, because if you've got to travel, you know, a long distance away, whether you got to use the bus, you've got to use Uber, whatever, it's going to cost you even more just to get food to put on the table. 
Exactly. And so, you know, there's a whole host of things that um, probably if you, you've never been food insecure, if you've never had to rely on community supports that you don't think about. But, you know, even even the idea of, of having to go to the grocery store when you don't have someone to take care of your kids is going to, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you're being told not to bring your kids or or you have to get to the food bank, which is going to be on the bus. And it, there's a lot to think about um, when you're when you're food insecure, for sure. You know, uh, I I wonder what challenges food banks are are facing right now in terms of their day to day operations. Yeah, so I it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, a lot of us have volunteered at food banks you know, with your work or just as part of uh, your community uh, support or service that you do. Um, and I think f- people would be surprised if they are used to what food banking looks like if they went uh, today. So food banks have had to really adapt um, to to the changing times. And so we've got um, not only declines in food donations, but drastic declines in volunteers. I mean, obviously, uh, but, you know, volunteering in this country powers food banking, um, you know, and so food banks have had to really um, change the way they run their business. Many have um, switched to non-perishable prepacked hampers. Um, one, because it's, you know, you can still maintain social distancing while packing them, uh, but you can also maintain the social distancing while handing them out. Um, and because they last longer on someone's shelf at home, that means they may not have to come as often. So you're giving them some breathing room between visits to the food banks. So they've switched um, to prepacked hampers, non-perishable hampers. Some food banks are doing drive-through uh, food banking. So you make your appointment, but then you drive up, pop your trunk, and the groceries go in just to make sure you know everyone involved is maintaining their distance. We've got um, some food banks that, you know, in Toronto area, the library system has opened up because it's closed to the public for books, uh, but they're great community locations. So the food banks are dropping off these hampers and then making it easier for folks to get access to food right in their communities. So it's it's fascinating to me and inspiring, actually, how quickly food banks just sort of realized the new situation and, you know, did a 180 and adapted their services to the new reality. Kirsten, Kirsten, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Kirsten Beardsley is the Chief Network Services Officer for Food Banks Canada. While they continue to help the most vulnerable, another source of food for us is looking at new ways of doing business. Farmers markets were deemed an essential service by the province of Ontario. Their numbers have been growing exponentially. Philip Powell is an advisor and colleague with Farmers Markets Ontario, and he joins us now. And uh, first off, Philip, the FMO lobbied the province for essential service Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's amazing when you look at stuff. Markets have been supplying food in this province for a couple hundred years. Uh, and at no other time have they been closed like they have been now uh, through, you know, world wars and everything else. When you think of when we had that blackout on the, uh, the eastern seaboard, mm-hmm. uh, the markets were the only place to go. No one else could provide food. So, uh, yeah, pretty important service. How, how many farmers rely on the ability to sell at a farmer's market? The number we believe is somewhere about uh, 2,500 across Ontario that follow that direct uh, marketing route. Um, and the reality is many of them sell out multiple markets when they choose to go down that road. Uh, and it is a vital, a vital importance for their family to, uh, to support themselves. Now, uh, the province has two options for, for farmers markets to run. Can you uh, explain how they, uh, the differences between the two? 
Yeah, for sure. We work with on with public health on protocols for the markets, and uh, you know we're hoping as we start talking about um, you know things lightening up the social distancing that by the time the markets get into full swing, which is later this spring into late May, early June, uh, that you'll be able to see more of that model that everybody thinks of, uh, which is the multiple stand, multiple vendor. Um, we don't think there'll be sort of buskers and, you know, food and all of that other kind of good stuff that you're used to at your market, but at least it would be you'd be able to choose from the stands. The other option that we're uh, getting into and markets have already explored and are successful at uh, is the e-commerce uh, version, uh, which is pre-ordered sales, and then you just drive through for pickup. And uh, places like Kingston uh, Memorial uh, is doing a great job with that. And, you know, other, in fact, other farmers are doing that right now to fill the void. Now, what additional costs are our vendors dealing with, with or will they'll have to deal with, with these, uh, these two options for running these markets? Um, actually, it's not as much cost as the logistical piece that becomes a big mm. challenge. We, mm-hmm. um, you know, Amazon has shown people and has had years to work through a model that, uh, you know, has the immediate delivery, et cetera. Uh, the challenge for a market is to try to coordinate, um, you know, 20 or 30 farmers coming with products for 150 customers and trying to get those organized for pickup. Um, so that market I talked to you about in Kingston um, they are literally putting 50 people through an hour, one per minute, uh, trying to, you know, uh, get the time back with 10 minutes at the top of the hour. It never works. So they've got a huge lineup of customers waiting for product. And that's going to be more of a challenge uh, with warmer temperatures to keep, you know, meat and cheese and those products cold and, you know, the bedding plants and stuff that are wet, all of those products. So, again, we're hoping that it's going to be back more to a face-to-face situation as we go on. But this e-commerce option is giving um, people, in some cases, farmers, the first time they've been on uh, an e-commerce platform and shoppers an opportunity to use that. And we at Farmers Markets Ontario think there's huge opportunities here um, because so many people want fresh food. So, And they're saying, you know, we leave town for the cottage on the weekend and hopefully we'll all be doing that before too long. Mm-hmm. Um, so a market could actually have a drop-off Uh, on a Thursday evening. So without any of that, you know, a bunch of stands set up and all of that kind of stuff that as people are leaving town or, you know, on their way home from work, they could just pick up product. Um, So we're actually thinking this is going to be a whole additional channel. It'll be a positive outcome of this uh, pandemic. You know, um, farmers markets are are pretty social places. Lots of, lots of people, lots of hang around, lots of chatter. And, And well, you know what it's like, but you know, obviously, we're we're going into a new world. How is Farmers Market Ontario uh, looking to ensure safety when things start getting back to whatever the new normal is? For sure, we've always taken it really seriously. I mean, that whole you know, uh, we've done surveys, and and shoppers believe that farmers markets uh, are safer than other alternatives in the food chain. Um, you know, and they really trust that one-on-one experience with the farmer. So throughout this, I mean, but long before this process, but through this process, you know, the whole thing about keeping cold foods cold and hot foods hot and and hygiene and and, uh, sanitization, all of those things have been in place. Uh, And going forward, we'll work with the public health officials to ensure, you know, and the, the challenge with our markets is there are about 180 in Ontario 
Um, and literally no two of those are the same. They are all very different. Their size, the number of vendors, you know, circulation space, whether they're in a parking lot or on grass. Um, so each and every one of those will have to work closely with their health unit um, and the market managers with their vendors to ensure that, you know, that social distancing or, or whatever the requirements are, limiting numbers of people, uh, that those practices are in place. Um, so, you know, this has been the coldest record on April to date. Uh, it is slowing things down and the markets usually don't come on in a really big way until mid late May. So we are fortunate in that sense of timing uh, that hopefully things will be, you know, able to roll out in a more whatever we call normal way by the time we get to late May, early June. Philip, I want to thank you for joining us. No problem. My pleasure. Philip Powell's an advisor and colleague with Farmers Markets Ontario. This leads to our unpublished dot vote question. How should the federal government help Canada's farmers during this pandemic? Create an emergency fund for them? Eliminate the carbon tax on farmers? Speed up access to migrant workers? All of the above or none of the above? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank Keith Curry, the Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Kirsten Beardsley, Chief Network Services Officer for Food Banks Canada, and Philip Powell, an advisor and colleague with Farmers Markets Ontario. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. <laughs>